Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good Wednesday afternoon. A warm welcome to you. This is The Call, 10 stocks picked by you, two expert guests over the course of 60 minutes. It's the 8th of March. And really pleased to welcome my expert guests for the hour, Andrew Whiteland from DP Wealth Advisory and Henry Jennings from Marcus. Today, the dream team is back. (laughs) Hey, Henry, um, look, we're in the wake of a 25 basis point hike here. We've got some tough talk from the Fed. How do you anticipate this is going to play out through the month? Uh, hi, Nadine. Hi, Andrew. Well, obviously, uh, last night was a little bit of a shock from the Fed talking about uh, going hard or harder. Uh, the US market took that quite badly. Of course, it is a two-day thing, so maybe they'll do one day bad and the next day good. Our RBA does seem to be tempering their language a little bit, and we've even had Phil Lowe out this morning talking about possible pauses and he recognizes the pain that the current interest rate environment is causing. Bear in mind as well, I think there's an RBA inquiry uh, due very shortly, so it may be better for him to look like the good guy than the bad guy at the moment, although I'm sure the results are all wrapped up. But as far as the market goes, you know, we're in a bit of a lull, I guess, at the moment. There's a lot going on, though, in the US. We've got jobs number on Friday, a lot of data coming out, but of course, post-reporting season, we are in that lull. So I wouldn't expect too many great shakes from our market, nor from the US, until we get that Federal Reserve meeting on the 21st, 22nd of March. So maybe we've got a couple of weeks of uh, going sideways, drifting down and panicking and uh, reacting knee-jerk-like to uh, to any kind of federal bank announcement or central bank announcement. Thanks, Henry. And uh, Andrew, when you are speaking with clients, what sort of concerns are people expressing about the outlook in the short to medium term? Well, I'm, because being the bearer of good news that I am, Nadine, I sort of remind my clients that 41% of companies in in profit reporting season in Australia missed expectations. You know, I like to bring good news to the table to these meetings. So uh, just sort of setting those expectations around potential future outlook, 10 straight interest rate rises in a row, potential for um, dividends to come under a little bit of pressure. But uh, it, it's really just sort of saying to people, the share market level doesn't really reflect the current level of risk that's out there and Henry's done a really good job of outlaying the economic risks. Of course, we could spend a fair bit of time talking about sort of the geopolitical risks, talk about US debt ceilings, talk about US election, we can talk about uh, Ukraine, Russia, we can talk about China, Taiwan. So there's lots of noise at the moment and for the share market to be sort of at 96% of a record high, it doesn't seem to be much of a correlation there. So we certainly are in a very cautious mode at the moment, Nadine. All right. Well, we will uh, keep that in mind when we speak about the stocks today. Levisa Holdings is one of those. MPV Medical Development, Ridley Corporation, Westpac, BetaShares, S&P 500, Yield Maximizer are all coming up in this half hour. Uh, but we will, as per usual, start with the stock of the day. And I chose carsales.com. 
It will buy another 40% of Brazilian online marketplace Web Motors for $353 million. It's uh, in a bit of a trading halt to undertake the raising. That will see its stake in Web Motors increase to 70%. Uh, the deal will see owner Banco Santander retain a 30% stake and continue its contractual relationship with Web Motors. Now, I do believe that car sales is back online. Uh, let's get a view from our guests. Henry Jennings, Marcus Today. This is part of the global expansion. You know, considering that CarSales already has a stake in this company already, I mean, so far so good in terms of execution, it does seem. What do you think? Uh, I think you're right, Nadine. I think CarSales has done an extraordinarily great job uh, with their business, a great platform that they've managed to grow it, uh, not only across Australia, of course, but South Korea as well, and Brazil. Brazil being, I think it's the fifth biggest car market in the world, 80 million vehicles on the road. And of course, owning 70% of this thing is better than owning 30%, as they say. Uh, this is the second kind of top-up acquisition. They did Trader Interactive uh, in the US, uh, which was uh, a similar kind of business to theirs. Uh, that They had a big stake in, in the US. They raised money and took out uh, the minority holders there. This one is a similar deal in that respect. Shareholders stumping up $500 million as part of this capital raise. Um, it's it's a pretty good deal, I've got to say. Uh, it does look good. They've got a good partner in Santander, uh, and they look after the credit side of things in terms of credit checks, uh, and so that, that really kind of fits in nicely. Brazil is a big market, and as they say, car sales do tend to be somewhat immune to interest rates. You know, you may not go and buy a brand new Tesla, but you've still got to get around and the uh, you know you're still going to buy the old banger so as far as they're concerned you know volume is good activity is good whether you're trading up or trading down that is good so I think this is a good deal for the market the market will like this deal 70% uh, is better than 30% and I think they paid a reasonable price for it so uh, ticks lots of boxes but would you buy carsales.com today I don't, know about, I don't know about buy, but certainly hold. And in a market that's drifting lower um, and, and seems to want to go lower, I think this one will be a, a rock in a sea of troubled waters. So it's definitely a hold, depending on how the uh, the market reacts initially to the uh, the capital raise, because they haven't come back on yet. There may be an opportunity to pick some up at, uh, at lower levels, maybe around sort of uh, sub $22, but we'll see. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah, I was just checking. Uh, it's not yet trading. Okay, Andrew, what do you no. think of carsales.com? Buy, hold or sell on the day? It's a hold and it's only a hold for all the, like Henry's done a really good job of uh, enunciating why it's such a good business and I agree. But given that it's at a 10% discount to the last market price, it's not unreasonable to think that some shareholders could in fact sell some of their shares subject to what price it comes back on at and use those funds to help finance the buy at 1995 with no brokerage heaven forbid so um, from my point of view that is the only reason why you know the market just needs to sort of get um, used to that indigestion the deal will fly out the door uh, because it is very well priced, management have got a great track record, and they're pretty smart, Nadine. They don't just go in and buy something straight off the bat. They sort of take a minority mm -hmm. stake, see what it's mm -hmm. about, 
and then go and buy it. So great business, but it is a hold. Got it. Thanks, guys. That's carsales.com, the stock of the day. Let's get on to the companies that have been nominated by our viewers. This is for Philip, LaVisa Holdings, Market Darling. Uh, you know, still though exposed to a slowing consumer. Andrew, what do you think of LaVisa now that we've got uh, the fundamentals on the table post-reporting season? Yeah, look, I, I don't mind the business. I'm not necessarily a fast fashion consumer myself. I know you'd find that hard to believe, but um, if you look <laughs> at how the um, business itself is actually progressing, um, it's, it's doing really well. That international rollout is doing very well. Um, having said that, though, they are slowing that down. They rolled out 80 stalls. Uh, in the last half, we'd probably expect that to moderate a little bit. That'll probably be back to around 40 or 50 um, stores. But even so, they're doing very well. They haven't taken on a heap of debt. There's good cash flow that's coming out of the business. Um, as Nadine, you know, one of the things I like to look at is not only management, but also who backs the business. In this particular case, it's Brett Blundy, and Brett's very well known for uh, having a good nose for retail and uh, certainly he's uh, well amongst it with this business. So to me, it ticks a, a number of boxes. I really like that strong return on equity. It's got a 90% return on equity. Probably the only thing that I'm probably a little bit dubious of is that it is fully priced. And what I mean by that, it's not because the share price is at a record high. I mean, that doesn't help. But if you look at the PE, the PE is around 35 times. The forecast earnings per share growth is around 29%. So again, I keep coming back to that peg ratio. Are you trying to buy companies whose earnings growth is faster than the PE? So in other words, for all intents and purposes, it's probably fairly priced. So even though I've just sort of uh, waffled on for the last couple of minutes saying how amazing it is, on a valuation basis, it's a hold. Got it. Thank you. Henry, do you see things any differently than your friend there up in Toowoomba? Um, no, I, I tend to agree with Andrew on this one. It's a quality retailer. It's got exposure to uh, a market that, frankly, isn't really affected by higher interest rates. Let's face it, 14, 15-year-olds don't really care too much about interest rates. They probably don't even know what they are in the main. The disappointing thing, I guess, was no earnings guidance for FY23, but their rollout of new stores does continue, and they're heading into new markets as well, Hong Kong, Namibia. Uh, Mex Mexico, Italy, Romania, Hungary and Colombia. So uh, they've already pushed into Poland and Canada uh, and they're hoping to uh, to bring more stores out. Of course, the US is the big one there. Uh, so good management, quality backers, uh, a kind of recession-proof product. And, you know, there, there's also that, that feeling that even in tough times, you can reward yourself with a little something. I think it's... Uh, the nail polish effect or the lipstick effect uh, that you can always afford to buy a lipstick and it gives uh, consumers uh, a little bit of comfort in tough times. So, you know, th their consumers are not really affected. It's a bit like Universal Stores in some respect, which has also been going quite well. Another favourite of mine. Uh, but uh, as Andrew says, it's not cheap. It's a hold here. And I guess the store rollouts continue and we get more uncertainty going, uh, more certainty rather going forward in FY23. Uh, maybe it'll drift into buy territory, but for the moment, it's a hold. Thank you, guys. Okay, that's for you. Philip, I hope you're watching. Let's get on to the next company that's been nominated by our viewers. Peter, this is Medical uh, Medical Developments, MVP Medical Developments, MVP is the ticker code. Henry, I'll start with you on this one. This is the good old uh, green whistle, isn't it? 
Uh, I think the, um, the, the the word there that is uh, that is pertinent here is old. Um, this is the good old green whistle. This has been around for a long, long time. Uh, and to be honest, it has been sort of going sideways to downwards, despite the fact they are making some progress. But it's not really happening quick enough. They had revenue last year, 13.9 million, which was up 45%. Uh, so that's all good. But still, you know, NPAT of only 2.7 million. Uh, and challenging conditions with staff shortages in hospitals they're talking about budgetary constraints you know the NHS isn't exactly brilliant I don't know how the US hospital system's going but uh, certainly for my money this is probably a I can't get it's hard to get excited about it I have to say it's been around for a long long time the green whistle has been around a long time uh, it's a very effective pain relief non-opioid etc but it just doesn't seem to ever catch the market's well, imagination. Isn't it, so. isn't it waiting for FDA approval? And we've been talking it for is. a very long time that if it gets that FDA approval oh, yeah. in the U.S., you know, huge addressable market and the like. But what, what's yeah. the holdup? Or, or as an, are you sort of well, past the point of caring you, right now? Well, you, once you've got FDA approval, you still got to flog the stuff. You still got to have a sales team that goes in, and it's not just as soon as you get FDA approval, then the U.S. just goes, "Oh, thank you so much, give us the whistle." Um, it is, you know, it's competing with other things. It takes time to build up sales. It costs money to do that. So, you know, for me at the moment, you know, while we're waiting, and there could be a blip up in the share price if it does get that FDA approval, which, to be honest, there's no reason why it shouldn't given that it's been around for quite some time in other jurisdictions, uh, that should help it. But, um, you know, you've still got to actually physically sell the thing into hospitals, into ambulances, into paramedics, etc. Uh, so that does take some time to ramp that up. So uh, maybe use the blip if you've been there for a while uh, to, uh, to lighten the load, perhaps, if you're not uh, a complete believer. Otherwise, you know, there's probably other biotechs around uh, that have uh, more catalysts i guess but um but they can be um, you know we've seen it today miso blast up 12 percent on the back of uh, some fda approvals there so you can get a blip up in the short term so maybe it's a hold at these levels a hold but sell if there is you know some sort of news that sends a share price higher got it andrew uh would you be putting mvp into your client portfolios no uh, and in fact, Henry, you just triggered me with mesoblast. You could at least warn me when you're going to sort of say <laughs> stuff like that. Um, but no, 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 Nadine, no, this won't be getting a run. Um, and look, there's a few reasons. It's not because I'm just unkind, even though I'm sure that's true as well. If you have a look um, over the last five years, share price performance down 28% per annum. That's not a bad effort. You have to try reasonably hard to do that consistently over five years. And we compare and contrast that to the ASX over the same period of time. The ASX 300 is up around 8.5% per annum, so certainly not exactly covering themselves in glory there. And by virtue of that stellar underperformance, uh, what we're now finding is that they've just been removed from the ASX S&P 300. So if I can sort of somehow weave some remote passive ETF talk into this, Basically, some of these uh, index funds uh, no longer have to carry this within their portfolio because it's been removed from one of the key indexes. So a lot of that passive money will, in fact, also come out of it. And we already only have about $101,000 a day traded in this $117 million company. So for all those reasons, plus everything that uh, Henry just spoke about, no thank you. Okay, thank you.
that is a sell or an avoid. Let's get on to the next one, Ridley Corporation. I'm looking forward to this conversation. RIC is the ticker code. This one is for Stafford. Andrew, I will begin with you. A lot of my small cap fundies that I speak with like Ridley Corporation, do you? Yeah, I do. And it's not because I live in the agricultural capital of Australia, Toowoomba. <laughs> but also because it's just a really well-run business and to the points that you just alluded to before that uh, animal nutrition is certainly uh, high on people's agenda at the moment uh, also the fact that you know the farm um, gate i think it's probably the right term to be using it'll be a record high this year um, animal nutrition is absolutely front of mind so it's certainly in that right industry space but as i said that business itself is really well run they're undertaking a share buyback at the moment it's trading under consensus probably the only thing that i'm cool on nadine is then the valuation piece and it's almost how we started the the segment you know a number of the businesses we're going to talk about today are good businesses are we paying too much for them or are they fully priced is maybe a better way mm -hmm. of putting it and so if we have a look at Ridley, P of 15, so compared to the market, you know, market's 19 times, I'm paying 15 times in itself, that's all right. But if I'm only getting 12% forecast earnings per share growth, again, I'm probably paying a fair price for it, which is not unreasonable, but Andrew the Miserable likes a bargain, Nadine, so it's not a bargain, so it is a hold. But good business, right space, just not cheap mm -hmm. enough. Okay. Sometimes you pay up for quality though, don't you, Henry? <laughs> I, I think we're going to have more holds today than uh, Greco-Roman wrestling at the Olympics, to be <laughs> honest. Um, th this one is a solid business. Interestingly, when I came to Australia back in 1989 and started working in the Australian market, Ridley Corp was about $1.30 in 1989. Here we are at $2.15. So it's hardly been stellar. Um, steady, stable, obviously a, a massive part of the agricultural scene in terms of uh, animal nutrition uh, it ticks lots of boxes but it's not very exciting it is obviously there's there's few ways to play the ag sector that are listed elders is one which i've talked about in the past uh, you've got uh, the likes of costa group etc this isn't a bad way to play it <coughs> excuse me but it's not very exciting i don't know quite know where the the growth is going to come from to be honest um, they have been able to be quite resilient with wet weather um, but um, I'm not sure where the growth is coming from. And, and as I say, $1.30 to $2.15 in 33 odd years, 34 years nearly, um, is hardly spectacular growth. I know there's dividends along the way, but yep, it's, um, I guess it's a bit of a tortoise stock, slow and steady. Maybe that wins the race, but that's a long race for me. Mm -hmm. I, I, it's, it's, a, it's a hold. Got it. Thanks. And boy, you don't look a day over 40. The maths just don't add up, oh, Henry. Stop it. Encouraging. Stop yeah. Encouraging. Okay. It's, it's, all, it's, all, it's all make up for TV. You know that. <laughs> I know. Smoke and mirrors. Trust me. You've seen me in the morning, Henry. Okay. Oh, that sounded really bad. <laughs> we'll yes. move on from that. No, I just met without makeup. Westpac, WBC. This is for Frank. He says that the banks seem cheap given rising rates. So why are all the guests so negative. Well, not all of them are. I did speak with Evan Lucas from InvestSmart. He's pretty keen on the banks as a very, you know, as a long-term investment. Are you negative on the banks, Henry? No. Why, why would you be negative on the banks? I mean, apart from the fact we all love to hate the banks, 
you know, collectively, this is a machine. You just pull the handle and $30 billion in profit drops out. You know, 11, 1200 for every man, woman, and child in this country. It is quite astonishing how much money these guys make. The, the problem, I guess, recently with the banks has been the level of competition that we're seeing in the mortgage market. There's, there's obviously a concern out there that we are approaching that cliff when the, uh, the fixed rate loans, etc., expire and everyone goes to variables. Now, that, that's all well and good, and that could cause some serious problems for the banks, but they do have big capital buffers, and they do have a big incentive to keep people on track and ensure that there are no adverse outcomes beyond having to tighten your belt considerably for mortgage holders. So that is a positive. The net interest margin obviously has been the big key to it, but there has been competition, which is another part of the equation for banks. You know, we've seen all those St. George ads where the, the little dragon gets in the uh, in the massage chair and s snuggles down and, you know, you get your $3,000 cash back for doing your mortgage. So it is quite competitive out there. And although the housing market's falling and, uh, uh, you know, we have seen a fall off in refinancing, etc. It's still very competitive out there. With the banks, you know, you've got the results coming up. We've got 8th of May. They do tend to run into the results. Fully frank dividends, big slugs there. You know, Westpac's probably you know, number three, maybe four in terms of the banking sort of peck order. But um, if, if you're a, an investor and you're looking at the banks, I've always said the best way to get your own back to some extent is to, uh, to have shares in the bank that you bank with, because at least then 70% of the profits are coming back to you as fully frank dividends. So you're getting something back for the fees that you pay. So um, it, it's definitely a hold. I'm quite optimistic, I guess, for the whole sector heading into the results season. Uh, Commonwealth Bank obviously out of cycle with those other three, but uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with the banks. They are a machine, they are competitive, uh, but the interest rate rises are helping them and hindering them but you know you saw Matt Common yesterday talking about the uh, business you know what's going on in the in the economy and they're not seeing this slowdown yeah they're not seeing the problems that others are seeing so um, I, I think they're still pretty solid hold come by is probably the uh, the answer there oh boy okay I'll refine my writing what do you think Andrew are the banks uh, <laughs> worth being positive about yeah, absolutely. And Henry just touched on it before, rising interest rates, great for banks, their net interest margin, their NIM increases. But, you know, Nadine, there's also a bit of a sting in the tail over the next 18, 24 months because it also means that as more people, unfortunately, will go bad, their provisions and debt for debts in 12, 18, 20, probably closer to 24 months' time, they'll have to start increasing their provisions because their provisions are incredibly low at the moment. And you're probably going, well, you know, so what? Well, the so what part is there's great dividends that you're currently receiving may come under some pressure in a couple of years' time if people start going bad. So it's okay at the moment. We need to be a little bit mindful. It's a good business. I have no problems with it. Management has been distracted by a couple of key things, sale of that BT Panorama platform, obviously the AML uh, mess, the anti-money laundering mess they found themselves in has been two major distractions. And if you have a look at, say, Macquarie, which is my preferred bank. Uh, Macquarie um, over the last five years has increased 17% per annum. Over the same period of time, um, Westpac is down 1.5% per annum over the last five years, which demonstrates management, you know, Macquarie's management has been dealing with some issues, but has really been growing the business. Westpac's been dealing with legacy issues and has sort of taken their eye off the ball. So don't mind it. 
but is it my preferred bank? No, so it's a hold. Yeah, got it. Thank you. Interesting. I was um, reading a book last week. Do you know that Macquarie's only had five CEOs in the entire history of the bank? They always recruit from within as well. Just an interesting yeah. fact there yeah. on Macquarie. Um, okay, so we'll call Macquarie a bonus buy because you would buy that. Um, now let's get to, I think we're already at number five here, guys. This is S&P 500 Yield Maximizer UMAX. What were you, what were you giving me the, the cut for? I'm saying no advice. We don't do advice here, Nadine. Well, no. There's no advice. You're right. You're right. Thanks for my reminder. Everybody out there, this is information only. This is not financial advice <laughs> tailored to your personal circumstances. You need to do your own research and take your own financial um, portfolio into consideration. You may need to get advice from a financial advisor. There you go. BetaShares S&P 500 Yield Maximizer UMAX. This is for Kyle. And this one is for the ETF Whisperer. Andrew, go. <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving Henry Jennings. Um, <laughs> UMAX. Uh, look, I don't mind UMAX in the context of the income strategy. It's paying around 7.9% per annum. So just, you know, if you just had a very blunt, you know, am I looking for income? Is this something I could should consider? Sure. Pays that quarterly, which is great. Um, but what is it actually doing? It's basically an income strategy over the S&P 500, you know, a covered call strategy. So writing options, basically. So, I mean, we could spend a fair bit of time talking about that, but depends on what market conditions are. Market conditions are going sideways or going down slowly or even up slowly, then covered calls are great. Where you come unstuck is where markets are moving, in particular on the upside. So it's, it's a little bit complex. Uh, the fees are a little unfriendly with due respect to our friends at BetaShares. It's about 0.79%. You know, we've spent the last couple of weeks talking about some of the other ETFs out there and reducing their fees. And again, to be clear, this one's a lot more complex, a lot more moving parts, which is why the fee's high. But black and white, the fee's quite expensive. Um, and it's also unhedged. Now, at the moment, that's great, given what's the dollar doing. What the dollar do overnight dropped about 2%, so that's a real positive. But one day, the Aussie battler will get its act back together. So you have to be a little bit careful as to where the dollar's going. So look, I've, I've thrown about three sort of potential issues in there. Fairly complex. I'm probably a hold on this. Thank you. Um, Henry, would you see a reason to hold the beta shares S&P 500 or to, to put some money into the ETF? Well, not if Andrew says it's a hold, no, Nadine, let's face it. Um, he, he is the whisperer. Um, if he's a bit ho-hum on this one, then I, I guess I have to follow him. As he says, you know, the fees are relatively high. It is based on uh, the S&P and they do do some complex option and other trading strategies over the top of it, which is why the fees are a little bit high. You don't get that IP for nothing. It's not bad performance, but you know, covered calls and that side of things can work. They work really well in a kind of gentle environment where the market is gently rising. Don't work quite so well when the market is falling aggressively or don't work quite so well when the market is rising aggressively. It's, they're basically selling volatility and adding to the, um, the income through that. Um, yeah, there's plenty of these sorts of products out there. There's plenty of alternates out there. For me, it's probably a hold if, if, that's, if that's your bag, if you want to go into UMAX. But uh, as Andrew says, the fact that it's not hedged, you, you're getting some exposure that you may not want, uh, etc. And it hasn't been a stellar performer over the years. So um, yeah, it's probably a hold at best. 
Great, wonderful. Thanks, guys. Look, we're already at the halfway mark. Time flies when you're having fun. Okay, stock of the day. No, I am. I hope you are. Uh, is car sales. It's a hold from both of my guests. Look, they both think that this is a good company, a well-run company. You know, strategy is being executed as to plan. Henry calls it a rock potentially in a sea of troubled water, but it's a hold uh, just based on the price action that will likely happen when it comes online. Again, Andrew just says the market will need to digest this cap raise and some of uh, you know what that might bring about, but pretty well priced as far as the, the cap raise. Um, so look, let's get on to the companies that have been nominated by you. Levisa, it's a hold for both of my guests. Again, they both say that it's a quality retailer. Um, pretty uh you know pretty good management pretty good strategy when it comes to the global rollout however question becomes valuation that's uh, why andrew's calling it a hold yeah henry agrees says it's not cheap that's why it's a hold mvp medical developments uh, look he says that the share price andrew does has been shocking over the past few years why would you want it sell it if you're in it and um look it, old is what comes to mind when henry talks about it in an old story he reckons if you do see a little bit of a pop-up, you should lighten your load. Um, hold for now if you're in it, but uh, yeah, try to get out if you can. Ridley Corp, it's a hold. Again, Andrew says it's not really cheap for what it is. However, um, look, slow and steady wins the race sometimes, but it just sounds like Ridley Corporation does not set Henry on fire. He says it's just not very exciting while it's a solid business. Westpac is a hold for both of my guests. Um, Andrew would clearly prefer Macquarie, though, in the banking space. And the beta shares S&P 500 UMAX, it's unhedged. That means you might be getting a bit more than you bargained for. And look, Andrew says the fees may be justified, but as far as ETFs go, it's, um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty punchy in terms of fees. There you go. That's the first half of the program done and dusted. Let's get across our High Conviction Fund, our investment committee has met. The new episode is up online now. I know a few of you out there were uh, eagerly waiting for it yesterday evening. So it's up online now. Let's get the portfolio update. So Seven Group and Jenison Education were removed. Our exposure in there to mineral resources was trimmed. MA Financial and Austell were added to the portfolio. Let's see how we're going so far. So it's up by about 12.8% on a cumulative return basis since its inception on March the 1st of last year. All right, keep sending your requests in. We don't have one yet, but how it works is if both of our guests say bye, we put it to the investment committee. Likewise, if it's a company that's in the portfolio and two guests on this program say sell, we put it to the investment committee. So yeah, I hope you go online and check out that latest episode. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. And let's get going here though with the next companies we'll be reviewing for you. Pilbara Minerals, PLS is the ticker code, Telstra, Generation Development, LGI Limited, and Coden. Let's get to Pilbara Minerals first. This is for Sean. Hi Sean, hope you're listening, hope you're watching. 
Look, the lithium, I'm going to start with you on this one, Henry. The lithium miners have been a bit <laughs> battered and bruised lately. Uh, are you still really positive on Pilbara? It reported and it is sitting on a pile of cash, just going by memory. Yeah, it, it, it created $900 million in, yeah. uh, in cash last quarter, paid out its first maiden dividend of 11 cents. Uh, but lithium, as we know, it comes and it goes. Back in 2017, it was very much on the uh, the ascent, and then it died a death. So much so that Catal, C-A-T-L, which is one of the big Chinese battery makers, picked up a stake in Pilbara at 30 cents, topped up at 36 cents, and we have seen them sell out their entire stake just above four bucks. So there are some question marks, I guess, uh, given that sale. Why did they sell? Why did they uh, decide to take the profits? They made 800 million bucks in the space of about three or four years. So they've done pretty well, I have to say. But of course, there's lots of negative sentiment around at the moment in lithium. The, the price of lithium itself has been falling, been slipping away. There's lots of talk about oversupply, etc. For me, I've got to say Pilbara, you know, is one of the big producers. They're ramping up their production. Uh, they're looking at, at, at a big upgrade to production. They're still getting extraordinarily elevated prices for their product. Uh, they have a mechanism called the BMX auction, uh, which does sort of uh, account for some of the offtake that they don't have agreements for, uh, and they sell that on an auction basis. They changed the system a little bit, which did set the cat amongst the pigeons to some extent, uh, as there were rumours that the BMX auction didn't have enough demand. It's it's obviously sliding down. It's trying to form a base around four bucks, and it is very dependent on the lithium price and the sentiment. But certainly at the moment. It's, uh, it's a little on the nose, but I think, you know, you've got to buy straw hats in winter to some extent. This is what cattle did back in, uh, in the day 2019 when they picked it up at 30 cents. This one, in years to come, if the price stays here, they will just be printing money. They will be very much like Fortescue. They will be printing money hand over fist. Obviously, they've got CapEx, but they will be paying it out to shareholders. This In five years' time, this will be a stock if it doesn't deviate from its plan and stays focused and prices stay even you know, relatively elevated, this will be doing extraordinarily well. It's, it's definitely a hold here, but uh, I think given sentiment, you might get it cheaper. So just watch for one of those days that the lithium miners are sold off. Do you have a price you know, that you'd be willing to pay for Pilbara? Uh, I'd love to buy them at $3.50. Um, I think that'd be uh, that'd be pretty much bargain territory at the moment. They're four bucks, so it's not far away. It's a couple of bad days, and anything can happen in the lithium sector, and frequently does. And mm -hmm. fifty cents is is neither here nor there. But I think long term, this is a very very good story. Quality management, quality project, uh, big upgrades, and of course playing into the zeitgeist and the whole lithium story. And you know, if we do see the lithium price come off, that does affect supply because people can't get the funding. They can't bring the other projects online, so it does tend to balance out. It finds its own level at some stage. All right. Well, if he's the um, the ETF whisperer, I guess you're the lithium lieutenant. Not sure. One might work on that one. Andrew, do you just leave it with Henry, <laughs> or how do you play the lithium theme when it comes to your client portfolios? Well, Nadine, he's the lion king. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Thank you very much. You can send me my payment later. Um, yeah. Look, at the current price, and and I'm probably a little bit more optimistic, or I have a higher price target. Just looking at the chart as Henry was speaking, 
I reckon about that 370 is the mark because it's bounced off that twice now. So if it can do 370, that's probably where I think you'd be loading up. But it's a PE at the moment at $4.09, it's a PE of 6 Let's just think about that for a moment. You know, the industry sector, so say materials, it's around 14 times. At the current price, you're only being asked to pay six times. And, you know, if we can get it at 370, that's certainly, what's that going to be, around four times, something like that. So lots of negative sentiment at the moment. There's people that got into a lot of the lithium stocks previously, sort of that hot money, and potentially coming into April, May, there might be some selling pressure, people trying to generate capital losses. I'm not suggesting you should do that. That's just the way of the world. People generate tax loss selling in that last three months coming into end of financial year. So certainly there is some potential for some pain. If you can get at that 370 mark, then for all the reasons that Henry just spoke about, that's probably the target. So at the moment, it's a hold. 370, time to get the pencils sharpened. Got it. Thanks, guys. So that is good to get something concrete as far as a price. Let's get on to Telstra. Now, look, we all know Telstra. Some of us love Telstra. Some of us love to hate Telstra. Uh, regardless, it's uh, you know executed on its uh, 2025, I think it's called the growth strategy. Uh, Vicky Brady, the CEO. We've got an overweight rating by Morgan Stanley. We've got outperform. Uh, coming through from Macquarie, Morgan's is an ad, Credit Suisse is an outperform. What's it in your book, Sandra? It's a hold. Um, it's pretty hard to sort of say it's a buy, in my view, it's pretty hard to say it's a buy at these levels. Um, again, valuation, and it's we'll talk about why it's a poor measure at the moment, but it's a P of 24 and earnings per share growth of 10%. So it's, you know, it fails the peg ratio miserably. But what you're getting is you're buying a big moat, Nadine. That's what you're buying. You're buying a big moat. Now, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing Henry and whether he still describes it as tech in a cardi. Uh, sorry if I stole your line, my friend, but um, I, I like it. I think it's a good business. But could I bring myself to pay $4.08 or $4.09? Like, as a long-term portfolio hold, no problems at all. But, you know, is it bang the table, get amongst it, is it buy? No, it's not. Um, I like the fact that it's a beneficiary of the Optus debacle. Um, I like the fact that Vodafone and TPG just can't seem to get their act together. I mean, living here in regional um, Queensland, regional Australia, I can't remember who it was. It was one of um, Sol Trujillo's uh, lieutenants who, you know, the famous line, if you see an Optus van in regional Australia, it's most likely been stolen. Uh, that is probably a reasonable <laughs> assumption because you know, if you want something to work, if you want your phone to, so here in Toowoomba is an example, if you want your phone to work and you go 15 kilometres west, with due respect to the competition, you want to be holding a Telstra phone. You're going to get a much better outcome. So very comfortable with Telstra from a reliability point of view, beneficiary from Optus dropping the ball. But is it cheap? It's not even a semblance of cheap. I know I'm rabbiting on a bit here, Nadine, but there is a point the whole idea of that operational separation that took place last late last year and that breaking into five separate businesses, that's the real value add. That's where there might be some uplift. But again, it's another one of these ones where we need to wait for a bad day. 380, 390 is probably the mark. 408, 409, it's okay, but it's certainly not compelling. It's a hold. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, I didn't read. So the guy who I think it's Q Fay is asking you know, will more Optus customers go to Telstra? You alluded to it there, Andrew, but will Telstra be a big beneficiary of some of Optus's woes still, Henry? 
Uh, definitely. And, you know, isn't it nice to see a, a female CEO of a major company again uh, being appointed International Women's Day today? So great for Telstra to do that. Following on from Andy Penn, of course, Vicky Brady has been handed the keys to the machine. And it, and it is a machine. And as Andrew says, you know, the great thing for Telstra is it's got its be the best network in the country by a country mile. You know, the, the, um, the Optus data breach and the whole connectivity thing uh, really does play into Telstra's hands. So I think, you know, things are looking pretty good for them. Also, of course, when we're traveling more, the good old roaming has come back into, uh, into the kind of the game. And 5G, you know, at the end of the day, 5G is going to become uh, and probably is becoming already a very viable alternative to NBN. And if you've got Telstra 5G uh, broadband at home, then you can probably chuck away your NBN. I did try it at home for me. I'm on Optus and uh, I have to say it was hopeless. And in two days, I went back to the copper and the MBN. But uh, for Telstra customers, for those offering the Telstra, then maybe it is viable. I like this one. It's got a relatively solid yield, but, you know, interest rates uh, on the, in the bond market are pretty much where they are now for Telstra. Um, new management, but no new broom. I don't think there's going to be any particularly to startle the horses. It's definitely a hold. As Andrew says, this came back because of... Uh, you know, market weakness to 380. This is a buy. I'd say the target price on this is 450, 460. But it is a slow grind higher. They dominate in mobile. Uh, they're picking up prepaid customers. They had another 144,000 prepaid subscribers uh, join uh, in the last period. So it's um, yeah, it's it's definitely on the ascendancy. Dull, boring, grinding it out, but it's got the coverage and that is what counts. Yep, got it. Thank you. The only place my Telstra doesn't work very well is coming over the Sydney Harbour Bridge, but I don't think that's a yeah. Telstra thing. I think that's uh, horses for courses. All right, guys, thank you for that. Let's get to the next company on the list, Generation Development Group. This is for Simon GDG. I don't recall ever speaking about this one before, formerly known as Allstock. Um, it is basically a bond like a, a investment bond solution. So, you know, it sounds as if it's sort of in the electricity business, but it, it very much is not. Uh, Henry, do you know this company well? No, I don't, Nadine. <laughs> I'm like you. I um, haven't really come across this too often. Had to do a little bit of digging around. It owns 41% of Lonsec, uh -huh. uh, which is a independent uh, research house, uh, very much focused, I guess, on the fixed interest, bond side of things, Lonsec are kind of the, one of the gurus in that space. So um, th these guys basically do investment bonds. I guess you could think of it in some respects a bit like um, a Challenger. You know, they've got annuity uh, products, a bit like Challenger. Uh, so there's a, there's a number of similarities. I just, you know, for me, it's, you know, it's clearly, you know, that there's a, they're offering some Sort of alternates to the superannuation which of course we're seeing some changes to at the moment they've got these annuity products they've got the lonsec it, it's not bad but it doesn't trade very often and i don't think enough people know enough about it it's it's not really one that i will be looking at i prefer to go with challenger if you wanted to have a bit more excitement in your life and one that's a bit more well known i'd be interested to hear what andrew says about it but it does offer you know alternate to super saving for the kids, trusts, all that sort of stuff, and very much focused on the fixed interest side of investing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's got uh, inflows coming in 24% funds under management growth, it says, in its half-yearly report. It's seeing 34% underlying net profit growth in the investment bond business. Um, it says it's got pretty sticky uh, funds under management, even through market downturns. So yeah, what, what do you make of Generation Development Group, Andrew? It's a ringing endorsement, isn't it? It's not bad, you know? It's a bit like sort of saying someone's harmless. You just sort of think to yourself, am I really sort of enamored with this business? Um, interestingly, a couple of things to briefly touch on. The average number of shares traded per day, $243 million company, $15,000 a day. Mm -hmm. So, very, 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 very difficult, very difficult to get set in this one. Um, and in part, now again, as you gave that amazing disclaimer earlier, Nadine, relating to investment advice, let's add another one around tax advice. This is not tax advice. However, and you know, we're talking about Henry uh, belying his age. Uh, if I could throw myself into the mix there briefly, then this is actually what's called a pool development fund, a PDF, not how we know PDFs but PDFs used to be a big thing until about 2007, and then no more PDFs were actually issued. There's about 18 PDFs at the moment. You're probably going, what does all that mean? PDFs have significant taxation benefits. I'm not giving tax advice here, go get, go get your own research. But in particular, around how income is treated and how capital gains are treated. So one of the reasons I think they're so hard to get into is because anyone holding onto these PDFs doesn't want to sell them. So that might be something that could be of interest. But if we then look at the underlying mechanics of the business, um, it's in financial services, it's insurance that we spoke about. It's up 2% per annum over the last five years relative to the market as we established before is eight. And it's not really in that sexy, exciting part of the market. So I think the underlying business is a little bit disinteresting, but the underlying structure which holds it, these PDFs are interesting. So on that basis, it's a hold, but it certainly might be worthwhile viewers a little bit of research on PDFs and seeing whether they're of interest or use in their portfolios. Interesting. Okay, will do. I'll have to do a bit of research myself. Maybe I'll call the company and see what's going on. Let's go to our next company on the list. Now, this is getting into the small cap space as well. LGI, LGI Limited is what it's called. I do believe that it is... Um, it, it's in the biogas space from what I can see. So that is obviously, you know, good when it comes to mitigating some of the emissions into the environment. But there's a lot of these companies trying to make a difference in, you know, this, this space right now. What is it about LGI that would or would not attract you to the business, Andrew? Um, as you said, there's two sort of things that are of, of note with this. One is, you know, their underlying business will come to that in a moment. but. If we do a very quick um, history, listed in October last year, so hasn't written the chart there sort of shows us, it doesn't really have that much of a track record. Now that in itself is not a bad thing, I'm not throwing shade on it for that reason at all. But sometimes investors just like to sort of, you know, we've literally, as in literally, just had their first half year profit reporting. So when a company lists, it has a prospectus, uh, and did they meet prospectus forecasts, which they did, but sometimes it's good just to get a bit of a read as to how they're traveling over 12 months rather than jumping sort of boots in, boots and all straight away. The share registry is pretty tightly held. So again, it's pretty hard to get set in this. 
only $71,000 a day of shares are traded in a $240 million company. So again, tight share register, only recently just listed, and I'd say this about any business, I'm not saying it about this particular one, but they're just a couple of, not even amber lights, but it's just something to be aware of. But then if we come to what you were talking about, the underlying nature of the business, earns revenue from sort of three different areas. It's got the revenue that it gets from renewable energy. It's got that sort of greenhouse gas, greenhouse gas abatement. And it's also sort of the site infrastructure um, as well. So it's a good business in the right space, but because it's only new, and you could be potentially missing out on gains by standing back and watching, but sometimes it's better just, you know, the tortoise and hare thing that Henry was talking about before. Sometimes it's good just to wait, maybe see a few more shares being traded every day, that share register unlocking a little bit. But I um, hadn't heard of this one before, watching it very closely. I think it looks interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I was just looking on the website again. And, you know, talking about biogas um, flare, it's taking biogas from landfills and transforming it into energy. And it's got quite a big footprint. You know, if you look at Southeast Queensland, South Queensland, all down the sort of south coast of New South Wales, as well as in Grafton, Canberra as well, Belconnen. So, you know, it looks as if it's, if it's doing a lot out there. Are you sort of of the same mind though, Henry, that you're willing to potentially give up a bit of the early gains just to see how things come to fruition in the next year or so? Uh, yeah, I've got to say, Nadine, uh, this is another stock that uh, I haven't come mm. across. I have to do a little bit of research, and it's only new, as Andrew says. It trades by appointment only, uh, which is a bit sad, um, because I think maybe the, the, the beauties of this one is, is going to be overlooked by the mere fact that there's not enough liquidity for anyone to really have a good look. But, uh, you know, you look at the financial results from last year, revenue up 61%. Uh, they had MPAT up 97% to $3.5 and as you say, they've got a good footprint across uh, southeast Queensland and the south coast of uh, New South Wales as well. Eight power stations, 15 carbon credit sites, <coughs> excuse me, uh, 15 carbon credit sites and 26 landfills. So you know, if this is probably the way of the future. I think this one, if you can get set and you're patient, uh, maybe this is one to just tuck away uh, and just uh, maybe stick in the back pocket for a couple of years and you'll be uh, doing quite well out of it. So I, I think this is a buy at the moment. Mm, okay. Thank you, Henry. So uh, a sit back and watch and a buy from Henry for this uh, little small cap, LGI. I'll be looking to maybe get them on the small cap program. It's pretty interesting. Okay, let's get to the last on the list, Codan. This is for Justin. CDA is the ticker code. I uh, had the pleasure of speaking with the CEO, a new CEO, a while ago, really talking about uh, a new strategy being executed, uh, still talking about weakness coming through in the African business. Andrew, what do you think of Codin now? Yeah, and last time we covered this, Koshi was super excited because it was a South Australian company. So I was perversely <laughs> hoping it was going to be Dean because probably not going to be as enamoured with it as what we were last time. Um, but yeah, look, it's it's as you just said, you know, they've had their challenges, if I could put it so delicately. Um, you know, the the African exposure. Uh, obviously, they had some exposure there to Russia as well, um, prior to all the, dare I say, it, excitement there. Um, underlying business is all right, like that return on equity is pretty strong, net profit margin is okay. But again, from a valuation point of view, PE of 13 versus EPS growth of 13%. Probably the thing that I'm struggling with, Nadine, 
is that, and Henry Ray spoke about it earlier with Lavisa, albeit, you know, with due respect, they've got a fair bit of credibility. The board here, CODAN, is not willing to give any guidance. And in, an, in a volatile environment, the best of times, that's not helpful. But in particular, the challenges that this business is going through, if the board is not, or management, I should say, is not willing to provide guidance, then that's not really helpful. So that, to me, is a big amber flashing light. So on valuation, lack of guidance, challenges on that geopolitical space, I can think of three reasons not to be there, but it is a hold. Thank you. To be or not to be, Henry, to buy, hold or sell uh, is actually what we want to get to. Coden. Been there, seen it, done it, bought the t-shirt, didn't fit, got the scars, not going back. Not one for me, I'm afraid, Nadine. Uh, I agree with Andrew. There's lots of uh, lots of red lights in this one. You know, it, one of the big growth areas for them uh, in days of yore was the gold uh, price uh, because that drove demand in West Africa for gold metal detectors. And I, I remember listening to uh, to one of the management of this company talking about how uh, you know villages got together and bought the super duper metal detectors, and off they went uh, to try and find gold. Of course, a gold price does tend to uh, hurt that to some extent and also any uh, political unsettling in West Africa so not for me um, just had a bad experience with this one I uh, thought it could bounce uh, it did sort of briefly and then it just fell away again not for me I'm afraid uh, Nadine I would need to see a lot more progress from management a lot more trust in the strategy going forward and uh, it really there's probably better things out there if you're looking for dogs in the market that have got turnaround potential, there are plenty of those at the moment. There is no end to that list and, and new ones joining every day. In fact, you know, it was only the other day that InvoCare was one of those dogs that had turnaround potential who knew the turnaround was going to happen uh, pretty much overnight with a bid from TPG Group. So um, there are lots out there at the moment. This one doesn't excite me, I'm afraid. There you go can't uh, be more definitive than that uh, the shirt does not fit all right Henry <laughs> I've had a viewer email and say that it was your birthday earlier this week was it it was my birthday yesterday Nadine. happy birthday Henry Jennings from all the team here at Ausbiz we'll have a Thank slice of guys. cake next time you're in <laughs> all the Thank best you guys. appreciate it all right, let's go through this list. Pilbara Minerals. You want to buy, in Andrew's view, at around the $3.70 mark, and that could happen. Henry's rather pay $3.50 for Pilbara, but both really like the business. It's a hold for now. Telstra, it's a buy for Henry, I should say. $3.80 is what he'd like to buy it at. Sorry, it's a hold right now. He'd like to buy it at $3.80. He's got a $4.50, $4.60 price target on the stock. It's a hold for Andrew. He says what you're buying is a moat, but he doesn't like the price. He would buy it at 380 or 390 as well. Generation development, it's illiquid. You've got to be careful, uh, though there is some interest in the underlying business. According to Andrew, it's a hold for both of my guests. LGI Limited, it is a buy for Henry. It is a hold for Andrew. It's, it's just very illiquid. You're going to have a really hard time getting set in it. That's why Andrew says maybe just sit back and watch. Uh, you know, let it uh, let it grow, and uh, perhaps you might miss a little bit of the upside, but you might be better off in the meantime. And Coden, this is you heard it. Trust broken for Henry. Won't go there again. Big amber lights flashing for Andrew. He's not interested either. That was for Justin. I do hope you're listening or watching, Justin. 
That is the program for today. Huge thanks to my expert guests, Henry Jennings from Marcus Today, the birthday boy, and Andrew Veitlin <laughs> from DP Wealth Advisory. Guys, thanks. We'll see you soon. Any stocks thanks you today. would like to us to cover out there, flick us an email, the call at ausbiz.com.au. You can also tweet to us at TV. Stay with us. We've got the head of Australian equities from RBC Capital Markets, Karen Dritzma, coming up next. Stay with us. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.